0: please turn to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, hold your place there, and we're going to uh, turn to one other scripture before we get into the body of our message today. This is the third in a series of sermons on Hebrews chapter 11. As we've been going through these first verses in the chapter, we learned that A faith that leads to the saving of the soul is a faith that pleases God. It's a faith that has confidence in the conviction of things hoped for and the things that are unseen. And that God, those who believe in God, He rewards those who seek Him. The faith that pleases God is a faith that worships like Abel and walks like Enoch and works like Noah. We also have learned that it's a faith that embraces promises, that receives those promises of God, that obeys God when He calls, even if it means we are pilgrims in this world, like Abraham was. But a saving faith is also a faith that overcomes the world, and that's going to be the title of our text today. A faith that overcomes... And turn to 1 John. Hold your place there in Hebrews 11. Turn to 1 John because the Apostle John writes about this type of faith in 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. When he says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So if we want to have any hope of overcoming the world, if we want to have this kind of faith that the Hebrew writer is talking about, we need to believe in Jesus, the Son of God. We have many examples of this kind of faith in this chapter, and we're going to review some more today in our text. But this, this morning I was reminded as we were teaching the preschool class and it goes along with, our, with the sermon today. This idea that doing the right thing, doing the faithful thing, is not always the easy thing. In fact, it usually isn't, is it? When we read down through these examples that were given, when we look back in history at all the examples given in the Scripture, doing the right thing is not the easy thing. It wasn't easy. For these people to to come through these difficulties in faith. Was it easy for Jesus to go to the cross and to die there for our sins? Of course not. But it was the right thing to do. And in the last half of chapter 11, we're reminded of how in the Old Testament, those with faith were able to overcome the world. And how such faith overcame the world varied from person to person. But we're going to begin by noticing the faith in the generation of the Exodus. Picking up in verse 23 with our text, we read there, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So for three months, they hid Moses. What would have happened if they would have been found out? They would have definitely been punished severely, probably killed if they would have been found harboring this young Hebrew child. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, we learn now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. We also learn from Acts chapter 7, verse 20. It says, At that time Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. And when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. For three months they hid this young child. And then not only did they hide him, fearing probably some type of punishment, they put the little baby, which one of us who have had little children would put our, our little baby in a basket And just, oh, okay, here you go, among the crocodiles and whatever else is in the Nile River. And just send it down the river. Can you imagine having the faith that that God's going to take care of this young child? The parents were both evidently involved in raising him and hiding him from Pharaoh's decree. Their faith is attributed to Moses Because without their faithfulness, Moses would never have lived to be used by God. They saw he was a, a, a beautiful, some translations say a not ordinary child. Some say that he was lovely in the sight of God. So possibly God had communicated to Amram and Jochebed how important Moses would be to his people. And they were not afraid of Pharaoh's command. It was their faith that gave them the courage to withstand this edict, to put their child in, in the Nile, to trust that God was going to care for him. It was their faith that gave them courage to withstand these trials. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22 says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So in that respect, they they put him in the Nile, didn't they? But they trusted that God would take care of him. Hebrews 11.23 tells us that they were not afraid of the king's edict. This is a biblical example of the faithful obeying God rather than man. When the government in charge asks people to do something contrary to God's word, what do we do? That's the dividing line, isn't it? When we're told to do something that God's word says you must not do, we have to obey God rather than men. And it is not lying or deception when the innocent are being protected, it's not defiance when freedom and liberty and life are being defended. They would have been punished possibly even killed if they were found out. See, faithful people of God have the same responsibility today to live faithfully, to protect the innocent. That's why we fight against abortion. We fight for life. Many act as though the government has ultimate control. And although we are to submit to the governing authorities, we're told in Scripture, when they impose law restrictions, that violate God's law, we do not have to comply, nor should we. We will take the risk. And that brings up the question for us, will we take the risk like they did? Will we be punished? In certain cases, we we might. We may have to fear punishment. But as Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. What would have happened if they wouldn't have protected Moses? See, with a strong faith, they overcame the world of Egypt. Next we read about the faith of Moses in particular. Starting in verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In Moses' life, remember, was split into three major increments. We like to remember it this way. When Moses spent forty years being a anybody? Being a somebody. Okay, he's he's under Pharaoh's protection. He's 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 a prince, possibly an heir to the throne of Egypt. Right? Then he spent forty years being a a nobody. Right? He ran away, he's out in the wilderness. He's he's not really doing much. And in his last 40 years, he spent 40 years being used by God, a servant of God. See, he is an example of how even those who become followers of God late in life can make a, a lasting impression for the kingdom. Someone may say, well, I'm too old. I just, I've run out of energy I've, or I, I've, done, I've done a lot. It's time for me to retire And to kind of step back a little. No, that shouldn't be our attitude. That's not the attitude of faith. We keep persevering. We keep in it. We keep doing God's will till the end. Moses was about 40 when he fled Egypt after killing the Egyptian slave driver. And we're told that he chose, Scripture says specifically, he chose to suffer affliction with God's people rather than enjoy temporary, worldly, sinful pleasures. Now, is it a sin to be wealthy? No. Is it it a sin to hold a position of power? No. So why does it say that Moses chose to be oppressed with God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt? Sin is disobedience to God's will. Once God's will was revealed to Moses... He could no longer go on living in Egypt, following their false gods, living in the constant temptation of sin and idol worship. He knew that he could no longer have one foot in the world and one foot trying to do God's will. And he's a great example for us of how we cannot live this way. It has to be our choice to follow the Lord's direction. God's not going to force us. We have to make an effort to see the future reward of heaven as Moses did. Even if it means being disgraced for the sake of Christ. Many reading this Hebrew letter would have known what it was to suffer disgrace for the sake of Christ. And many today know what it means to live in this way constantly. Thinking about what Moses' decision involved... He lived during what's referred to as the 18th dynasty of the Egyptian empire. There's a very famous pharaoh who we've uncovered his tomb and we've exposed some of his riches to the world. Anybody know who it was, who it is? Yes, King Tut lived during this 18th dynasty. And some people, based on the treasure just found in his tomb, just his helmet covering his coffin is estimated to be worth about $4 million in today's money. That's just the top part of his coffin. They found great riches in his tomb. And some think that this 18th dynasty that Moses was part of was the wealthiest dynasty in Egyptian history. And and we probably couldn't even fathom the amount of wealth in today's dollars. That's how much money we're talking about. Quadrillions worth of money. Moses gave that up to suffer with the Hebrews because it was God's will. Moses considered the reproach of Christ more valuable, much more valuable than the treasures of Egypt. Evidently, God revealed a lot to Moses about the coming Messiah. About how the the Christ would suffer. And how even the ancients would receive great blessing through what Jesus would do. Moses received the promises of God through faith and he looked to the reward. There's his confidence in things that are hoped for. He was focused on his heavenly reward. And by faith, we're told, he left Egypt. He knew God would protect him. It wasn't the wrath of the king of Egypt that he feared. It was the wrath of God. So through faith, he endured. He had conviction in things not seen. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. He believed in God's warning regarding the death of the firstborn during the plagues. He had Israel sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the lentils and the doorposts, and his faith led him to act on God's command. And in doing so, he protected God's people from destruction. So by faith, Moses overcame the world of Egyptian bondage. Next, we see the faith of the nation of Israel. Verse, in verse 29 and 30, it says, By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell, and after the army had marched around them for seven days. They passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. What a sight. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? we We can have representation of it, maybe on the stage or on TV, but certainly there's no way to explain how that would have sounded, what it would have looked like. To walk through on dry ground. And then have the Egyptians who followed them be swallowed up into the depths. And we're told they destroyed the city of Jericho. And they walked around the city for seven days. How many times did they walk around the city in total? Walked around seven seven days. And on the seventh day, they walked around seven times, 13 times altogether. They marched around this city. Every time, if you've ever seen the, the, the cute Veggie Tales movie about this, what are, what's the enemy doing? Uh, every time they're walking around the outside of the walls, they're up on top of the wall. <laughs> they're laughing at them. They're throwing things down up. They're probably, what are you doing? What's this great army walking around the city? What are you going to do by walking around the city and shouting and blowing trumpets? But they did it, willing to face ridicule, willing to face shame, because it's what God said for them to do. See, true faith is continuing to do what God said, even if it doesn't make sense to us. But it showed their faith in God rather than in their own military might. And by faith, Israel overcame the world of Egypt and of Palestine. We're told next in verse 31 of the faith of Rahab the harlot. It says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. It's important that we don't pass over this verse casually. Because there's a lot wrapped up in that that little verse. It shows us how the wonders of God affected even the Gentile nations years before God's people were allowed to enter the land of Canaan. That Rahab had heard of the miraculous events surrounding God's people and she believed in God. That should cause us to think, folks, how, how are we working as God's people so that people know, people in the community in Monroeville know, people in the state of Pennsylvania know, this is, this is God's people. This is what they're doing. And it's obvious that God is working through them Gareth Reese, in his comments on this verse, says some have tried to soften the word prostitute to say innkeeper or hostess. But there is no reason to take the word other than literally. That she is here called faithful implies that she would repented of her old ways and had changed her lifestyle and was adopted into the commonwealth of Israel. In fact, we would affirm that she has changed before the spies were welcomed into her home. For she already knows a great deal about Jehovah and the marvelous victories that He accomplished years earlier. See, she believed in God, she received the two spies from Israel with peace and confidence, even risking her own life to harbor them, lying to the men who were searching for them. So some think that because of what she had heard about God working through His people, She had already started to repent in her life. She had already started to make these changes in her life. And that should cause us to think about, see, the things that we do, the ways that that we affect our community, help people to begin the process of repentance. Recently, we learned a a neat phrase when we were at the, the leadership seminar in January. And he used it, the speaker used it a few times. He said, kindness Leads to repentance. Kindness leads to repentance. As people see God's church working, serving, doing His will, it will start to help them in that process of repentance. Therefore, Rahab did not perish with the unbelievers when Jericho was attacked. She becomes even the great grandmother of Jesse, who was David's father. She becomes, therefore, an ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah. And by faith, Rahab overcame the world of sin and unbelief. Through faith, Israel received the promised land, as God had told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the process, by faith, they overcame what obstacles the world placed before them. And even a Gentile like Rahab became a recipient of the promise by her faith. But the need for faith didn't stop there. And as we continue, we'll see some examples here of faith in the promised land. Faith in the promised land. Verses 32 through 40. Saying, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, they were raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith yet none of them received none of them received what had been promised since god had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect so at this point the hebrew writer begins this summation of others who could be listed among the faithful in this chapter and what many others went through because of their faith Just reading down through that list, we can once again see how doing the right thing, doing the faithful thing, is usually not the easiest thing. There's not enough time, he says, for him to describe the faith of all the others in detail. But what their faith accomplished is listed. We're told they conquered kingdoms. We can think of Joshua and Caleb conquering the land of Canaan, how Gideon defeated the Midianites and Jephthah the Ammonites and David defeating the Philistines and all the other neighboring nations. And all these examples are well documented in Scripture and in history as concrete evidence of God's power and how He fights for His people. How he fights for those who are faithful. We are told that they administered justice like Samuel, the judge, and David as king, how they gained what was promised, and the nation of Israel did receive the promised land, how they shut the mouths of lions. The spirit of the Lord came on Samson and enabled him to tear a lion apart, we're told. David, protecting his sheep, fought off the lions. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Beniah, one of David's mighty warriors, we're told, killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. They quenched the violence of fire. We can think about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the fiery furnace, and they were honored in a special way, more than likely, met Christ in the fiery furnace. They escaped the edge of the sword. David fleeing King Saul, Elijah fleeing Jezebel. Elisha escaping King Jehoram of Israel, who wanted him murdered. Their weakness was turned to strength as with Samson after his hair was cut. Hezekiah, who was given 15 more years to live. David, when he went up against Goliath. Esther, when she walked in facing the king. They became powerful in battle. And we can think of all the the battles that God won for his people. Gideon with just an army of 300. Jehoshaphat defeating Edom. Hezekiah, whose faith led to an angel coming through and killing 185,000 enemy soldiers in just one night. Women received back their dead, like with the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman. Some were tortured, refusing to be released, and they obtained a better resurrection, we're told. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned. Jewish tradition says Jeremiah was stoned to death. It also says Isaiah was sawn in two. Some were tempted. Some were slain with the sword. And there were those who wandered in the desert in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented. They didn't receive much far as the world is concerned. But what did they receive by their faith? Well, they didn't receive the praise of the world. They received the praise of God. And the scripture says the world is not worthy of them. You see, what matters in the end is not going to be man's approval, It's not going to matter if other people give you hearty approval. What's going to matter in the end is that we did the will of God. See, too many today are seeking the world's approval. And it's leading them down a path of heartache and pain. And they wonder why they're going through difficulty in their life. Because they're seeking the wrong kind of approval. We're told that the faithful here obtained a good testimony. And they didn't even receive the promise during their lifetime. They did receive the promised land, but they didn't receive the promise. They didn't see the coming Messiah. They didn't experience life in Christ. In other words, the Hebrew writer here is saying, Are you listening, reader? Are you listening? Have you really comprehended what I've said in this chapter about what the faithful went through? You have seen the Messiah. Every time we open this up, we see Christ. We see God. You are living in the Christian age. Under a better covenant, you've seen the fulfillment of what they were looking forward to. And realizing this, will your faith endure as as their faith did? You have even more of a reason to remain faithful through life's difficulties. We should ask these questions of ourselves. We have the written, completed Word of God, and it bears witness to all that the ancients went through and suffered. And never obtained, yet they were faithful. And we must look forward through our faith in Christ to a heavenly reward. And will we follow their example because we are absolutely convic- convinced and convicted of things not seen? Will our faith cause us to rely on God's promises, knowing that He's fulfilled all of His promises to His people in past generations who were faithful? What they did not receive during their lifetime, they did receive with the coming of Christ. Over in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, we're told, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that He has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. With the coming of Christ and through what He did on the cross and His death, burial, and resurrection. They are now made perfect, just as we are in Christ. And once again, taking a note from Gareth Reese on these final two verses, he says, God's better plan was that only in company with us Christians should those Old Testament faithful saints reach their perfection. They and we together now enjoy unrestricted access to God through Christ as fellow citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. We have everything they were looking forward to. We have the fulfillment of God's many and wonderful promises through Christ Jesus, His Son. They could only see a shadow of it. And they were willing to go through all of these things to gain it. What about us? Through faith, they truly overcame the world. Sometimes their victory was miraculous, but oftentimes it wasn't. Their ultimate victory was that they died in the faith. Through faith, we can also overcome the world. Faith in Jesus as the Son of God will give us the victory, as we read at the beginning. Victory over the world's temptations, victory over the world's persecutions. And the victories we win may not be as impressive as those listed in this chapter, but we, if we are faithful unto death, the reward will be the same. So may these heroes of the faith serve to motivate us to have a faith that pleases God, to have a faith that receives His promises and a faith that overcomes the world. We may not win the praise of the world, but we will receive the praise of God. Such is the faith of those who God is not ashamed to be called their God. And such is the faith that leads to the saving of the soul. We're going to have our worship team come back up. We're going to play a song as we always do, a song of invitation, to offer an opportunity For anyone here today to become a follower of Christ. To start the journey of faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Him, you're willing to turn toward God, repent of your sin. You're willing to confess Him before men and be immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to offer that opportunity for you today.